0: Well, if you'll take a copy of God's holy and errant and inspired word and turn to Luke chapter 19, Uh, if you're using a Pew Bible, uh, you'll find that on page 1117. Uh, If you need a copy of God's word, I'd love to give you one. We have several copies on the way out the back double doors. Please feel free to take one with our blessings. Uh, We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 28. Uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word, please. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent to the disciples, saying, "Go into the village in front of you; where, on entering, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat." "'Untie it and bring it here. "'If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? "'You shall say this, the Lord has need of it.' So those, who were sent away, uh, "'So those who were sent went away "'and found it just as he had told them. "'And as they were untying the colt, "'its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? "'And they said, the Lord has need of it. "'And they brought it to Jesus. "'And throwing their cloaks on the colt, "'they set Jesus on it. "'And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road.' Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word and we ask, O Lord, by your spirit that you would give us unction, anointing, and understanding. Open our eyes that we may see. In the name of Christ, amen. Please be seated. If someone calls you and says, hey, I'd like to come over for a visit, how would you react? It kind of depends on who it is, isn't it? If the preacher calls you, you run, right? That's, that's usually what happens. Everybody's out of town real quick when the preacher calls. Um, if, if it's a friend, if it's a friend that, uh, that you are used to visiting with, then you'll be excited. If it's your boss, said, hey, I'd like to drop by and have a visit. You might have a different response. What would happen if the president came to see you? Taking party politics out of it whichever president you want. What if the president called you, the White House calls you a switchboard, you were able to confirm it actually was the, the president, and he's coming to Bruton just to see you. Uh, I wonder, would that change your schedule? Would, uh, would perhaps you clean up your house a little bit? Uh, we, as, as you know, we're uh, foster parents now, and um, you know DHR had to come and do a home inspection. And, uh, and we had friends come and help us, get the house ready, you know? And it was ready praise god you prepared your heart excuse me you prepared our house that's the illustration to the next bit so we prepare our hearts for the coming of jesus jesus was coming on a visit see there's a there's a key word in our text it's the last word of our of our text and it's the word visitation the word, word visitation in the greek is a very uh, precise And official word. It means an official visit. A visit by an official for a stated purpose. See, in our text we see not the president, not the DHR, but the king. The king coming not just to say hello, not for a chat, but for an official purpose. For an official visit. See, the king was coming with his kingdom... And his kingdom is different than any other kingdom of the world. He is king of the world, but this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It is one that is entered not by coercion, not by force, but by surrender. Surrendering to the king and becoming one of his own. See, this king is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the creator of the universe. And everything you see, he made it and he was coming on a visit to his people. The question is why? Why was he coming on a visit? Why was he coming on a visit? And why would he cry before he begins his visit? And then why will this king come back? There are three whys we're going to look at this text, in this text as we think about our king. The first is, why would he come on this official visit? Well, quite simply, he said he would. Um, and then we'll close with prayer and the benediction. Uh, He said He would, and uh, and it's been foretold in the Old Testament throughout. Genesis 3.15, we get this initial, the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, that God's going to fix this mess that, that man has made of His creation. But more specifically, the Jews were looking for their king, for the Messiah, the Christ, who would come and visit. They knew that one day there would be a king who would come in the line of David, and who would sit on the throne of his father David, and who would rule with justice and righteousness. You know, they actually practiced this in the Old Testament days. See, every year uh, they would rethrone, re-enthrone, re-coronate uh, their, their kings. Uh, and so they would celebrate the coronation of their king, and, and this had a, a forward-looking aspect too, as they began to pray for and anticipate the coming of the true son of David, the one who would sit on his throne forever. And so what they would say is found in verse 38 of our text and Psalm 118 in the Old Testament. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Reflecting Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Jesus said he was coming. The king was going to come. They had been practicing it all those many years before now, but there was another prophecy that told of this day as well, and it's from Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Don't you love that text? Your king is coming... And what does he have? Righteousness and salvation. And that's what happens in our text. The king arrives. He said he would. And now it's finally here. Jesus rides a donkey from the Mount of Olives down to Jerusalem, which is the distance of about a half mile. So Jesus doesn't ride a donkey because he's tuckered out. He's walked all over Judea and Perea, and Galilee. And it's not like he gets to the end of his journey and says, man, I just can't make it. Rather, this is reenacting, or this is the thing that they have been reenacting all those years. You see, when they would re-enthrone the Davidic kings in the Old Testament each year, do you know what they did? They'd put him on a donkey at the Mount of Olives, and he'd ride into Jerusalem. I use this illustration each year because it works so well. If you looked out the front door and you saw a 50-car motorcade with ambulances, a couple of Suburbans, with SWAT team members, a bunch of police cars, helicopters, and there in the middle was a seven-ton black armored Cadillac with two flags on the front, one with the American flag and the other with the seal of the President. Do you know who it would be? It would be fairly obvious to to us, right? We might wonder, what is he doing in Bruton? But we would know exactly who it was supposed to be. It would be very obvious to us. That's how obvious it was to the Jews on that day. Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. It's like he got himself a black Cadillac and rode into town with a big flag saying, I'm the Messiah. Everybody knew exactly what was going on that day. And most people rejoiced. They joined in crying out their part of Psalm 118. So as they answer this first question, why did the king come? And it's because he said he would. So how does this all happen? Well, Jesus knows of a donkey in Bethphage that's tied up, ready to go. It was a colt that had never been ridden before. Has anybody ridden a colt that had never been ridden before? You don't do it for long. Uh, you know, just like, one commentator pointed out, just like Mary, who had never known a man, would carry Jesus, uh, just like the tomb that would hold him had never been used before, so too the donkey that had never been ridden would carry our Savior, its creator, into Jerusalem. Jesus sends two of his disciples to get it. We don't know who they are. It doesn't say one of the twelve. It just says some of his disciples. I wonder if it's blind Bartimaeus. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? It says, we, we looked at last week, that he was glorifying God, and he followed Jesus. I, I, we don't know if it is, but it's certainly someone like him who had had their lives transformed by the Messiah, and he, they were being obedient to go and get this cult. Now, Jesus anticipated there might be a little problem Because he said, hey, if the owners say to you, or when the owners say to you, what what are you doing with my ride, this is what you say. And so they show up and they untie the donkey. And the owners indeed say, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? They say, the Lord has need of it. Isn't it amazing how at this point the owners say, okay. (laughs) It makes you think that these owners knew the Lord. And perhaps Jesus knew that some of his disciples Whose lives had been transformed, who lived there, had a donkey that had not been broken yet. He says, Hey, go and get that, that wild donkey. I'm going to sit on that. Well, they returned to Jesus. And they actually set Jesus on it, almost like you would set a king on a throne, and they put their cloaks, their robes on the back of the donkey for Jesus. And as he makes His way along the road, we learn in Matthew 21, 9, and the crowds that went before him and followed him, so there's a group before and behind, were shouting, 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 not quietly, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, the Jewish leadership isn't happy about this. and 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 you understand why. Because if Jesus is the Messiah, they have opposed Him from the very beginning and they've been trying to figure out a way to kill Him. And here He is, this upstart Jesus who we don't want to be around. He suddenly has a public following and they're crying out the very things that we're supposed to say about the Messiah as He comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they they go up to Jesus and instead of accepting Him, instead of rejoicing, instead of... Joining in the crowds, they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They have no clue what they've asked, right? Don't you love Jesus' response? Looky, dummies, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If the people didn't cry out, then God's creation would fill the silence as its creator comes in to his city. So first, why did the king come to visit his people? Because he said he would. But he said he would so that he could accomplish a purpose. See, this visit was not just to come and chat. It was not a consultation. It was to achieve something, to die and to rise. He came to save us. See, a good king sees the things that threatens his people. And Jesus saw the things that threatened you and me. Sure, the Romans were oppressing the Jews... Sure, they lived in a land that basically was no longer their own. Sure, they had a, a, a high priestly order that was grossly corrupt and basically heretical by this point. You know, surely, they, he saw, he knew all those things, but that was not the thing he came to fix primarily. In fact, soon after he, he dies, rises, goes back to heaven, 40 years later, the temple's going to be destroyed at his command. Instead, he came to deliver us from a far greater oppressor Than the Romans, he came to save us from the evil one, from our sin, from the guilt and power over it. He came to subdue us to himself. Don't you often feel a need to be subdued? Where my heart wanders away, where the flesh just seems so strong, I'm thankful that I have a king like Jesus who can subdue me again to himself. See, God is a God of justice, though. And the very thing that was threatening us was that we were in rebellion against Him. Now, get this. We had rebelled against Him, and so who's going to take care of the rebellion? The king. You ever heard of a king like that? That didn't make any sense. What do you do if, as a king if someone's in rebellion against you? You show up and you wipe them all out. Instead, the king came and allowed himself to be wiped out that those who in rebellion against him might have new hearts be forgiven and given eternal life. See, God so loved the world. God so loved those whom he had created who were in rebellion against him that God took on flesh and entered into this rebellious world, this one that was rebelling against him, to lay down his life so that all who look on, on Him might receive eternal life. Our King came to deal with our rebellion against Him, not by wiping us out, but being wiped out for us, so that we might be reconciled to Him And there was something that stood between us and God, and that was the record of our rebellion, our moral debt. And Colossians says that he has canceled this debt with its legal demands. How did he do it? By nailing it to the cross. And it is gone. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you have trusted in the Messiah, not just the Messiah that was accepted... As, as they saw it on Palm Sunday, excited for what He could do for you in the moment. But if you have trusted in what Christ has done for you on the cross, that God would, took on, would take on flesh and die in your place because someone had to die and you couldn't do it, then you may know that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our Savior, our King, has paid it all. This is what our Savior came to do. This is what the Messiah came to do. This is what your King has done for you. But then there's this jarring moment. It's a day of rejoicing. They're excited, those who went before and after crying out, Hosanna! You know, you've got these Pharisees. Well, they're the Pharisees. You know, they're just, They do their own thing. But it's a day of rejoicing. But then you get to the end of our passage. And we find Jesus there crying. Now, this word cry is, uh, is not strong enough. It's used three times that I know of. I might have missed some. It's used three times that I know of of Jesus in the Gospels. At the tomb of his buddy Lazarus, where he weeps, the same word is wail. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He knows what's coming. He's willing to do it. Lord, let this cup, in any way possible, let this cup pass from me. But if not, I, your will be done. And here, this is a public outcry. This would have been embarrassing. Shh, shh. You would have distanced yourself from this kind of mourning. You know, in the South we we say we cry, but then we apologize for doing it. This was these were ugly tears. This was wailing. And it's because he knows what's coming. And he said, if you had known, if you had known, if you had known the day of your visitation. See, the coming of the king had been fully announced. They'd been well publicized. I'm told that when a president goes somewhere, there's an advance team that goes and makes sure things right. Word gets out to all the people who need to know. Um, Invitations are sent out to any kind of official events. You know, that had happened for this king. They were called the prophets. They said, hey, your king's coming. It had been well publicized, and yet they missed it. So many who are crying out, Hosanna. Some of them, at least, will say in John 19, 15 on Friday, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? This is one of those gut check moments, like, okay, maybe we should stop and think about this. The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So God is a God of love and justice, and he came on visitation. came to visit his people calling them to repentance, and so many would reject him. But justice would come. Forty years later, this same king who is weeping and wailing here will be the same king who will send the Romans, the ones who had crucified him, to destroy the city of Jerusalem. This is why we get in Mark 13, hey, it's going to be better for you if you're not in the city. Don't don't go and get anything, just run. Run for the hills. This is the abomination of desolation. This is, this is when one of the generals walks into the Holy of Holies. This is when every stone is taken off one or the other at the, at, in the temple. And the, bl- and the streets ran with the blood of Jews. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands died. It was an awful day. Jesus knew it was coming. It's because they had missed the day of their visitation. If they had known only the one who had come to bring them peace. Do you know this king? This king who came to bring you peace? He offers you peace with God. Colossians 1.19 and 20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile, to bring close, to heal that that broken relationship, to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, how? By the blood of his cross. Well, we've seen why the king came for visit. It's because he said he would and in order to save us. We've seen why the king would cry, and it's because his people missed the day of their visitation. The third is why will the king return? We read in 1 Thessalonians of the return of the king, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Everybody's going to hear it. With the voice of an archangel, everybody's going to hear it. And with the sound of the trumpet of God, perhaps His own voice. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. When Christ came the first time, it was to deal with the guilt and power of sin. He saved us, He gave us life, He redeemed us, reconciled us, brought us peace by the blood of His cross, but when He comes back He will bring His kingdom in fullness. He will complete what He began. I must say that this week I've thought a lot about this day as we think about what happened in Nashville. You know, the Covenant School is uh, belongs to a sister church of ours, PCA Church. And uh, We have children here, so you you know what happened, including the daughter of the senior pastor. And um, I yearn for the day of Christ. I yearn for justice. I yearn for this world to be made right. Don't you? I yearn for the King to come and and for there to be recompense. But I can only say that because Christ saved me, and I'm ready. And the more darkness I see in this world, the more ready I am. And it makes me yearn for that day. When when Jesus, who is the light of the world, will come and and everyone will know it. And every knee shall bow and tongue confess on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Are you ready for that day? See, I'm praying for it. Um, I'm praying, Lord, come quickly. Are you ready for that? Christ came to bring peace to you by the blood of His covenant, by the blood of the cross. And He offers it to you freely. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to make God love you. do not work like that. Instead, you surrender to the King. You bow your knee to the King. You ask Him to forgive you of all the ways you've rebelled against the King and ask Him to save you. You know what? He will. And then you can join the rest of us yearning for that day of justice because justice for believers was satisfied on the cross. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the triumphal entry of your Son, Jesus. Um, We thank you for the day that he entered into our lives for those who know Christ. I pray for those who don't know you that today might be the day of their salvation. Even as we pray, come King Jesus, come quickly. Amen. We're going to stay seated as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Um, You know, it's a hymn that I don't know that we've sung in a long, long time, although I hope many of you know it. It's 178, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. And I encourage you in this week, uh, as we move towards Good Friday, that this this song might be a, um, a devotion for you as we think about what happens on Good Friday. So we'll sing verses one and two in preparation.